All right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for this opportunity we have to come together to worship you, to to bring our thanksgiving and praise to you, and to look into your Word and consider what it says. And, uh, now, just how important your Word is to us. Uh, it just provides us um, so much that we need as your body. And um, God, I just pray that you would be with us as we continue to uh, attempt to improve in our ability to understand it, to apply it to our lives. And God, that you would just continue to work through your word to sanctify your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we finally made it to the end of the, the study on how to study the Bible. So we have covered why it's important. Uh, we've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've talked about finding the meaning of the text, identifying genres, um, using the principle that Scripture interprets Scripture, paying attention to the context, considering the original languages, considering the historical context, steps um, in studying the Bible, tools that you can use, uh, to help you in your study of the Bible and um, memorization and meditation on the Word of God. So hopefully all of that has been helpful in giving you some tools to study the Bible more thoroughly. Um, but there's... Um, as we've mentioned before, there's more to it than just you studying. Um, there is also uh, you passing on the information that you have learned, um, and that's teaching. Uh, now, different people do different levels of teaching, but everybody does some level of teaching, I think. At least almost everybody. Um, so, uh, you know, places you might teach, you might teach in a Bible or a Sunday school, like, like we're doing here. Um, you might uh, teach in your family. Uh, that's a, an important thing that that uh, Christians are to do. Um, and you also just might do something that's at least loosely called teaching, which is informal conversations with people. Uh, you're going to have conversations with people where um, you can put these things into practice and help them to understand things in the Word of God. Uh, one of the passages that we talked about during the first lesson is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes, or between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So um, there, I mean, obviously very important that we, um, that we provide the teaching of the Word of God to our families, um, and that it be something that is just a regular part of our daily lives, that it be something that we're constantly meditating on, thinking about, that it informs everything that we do. Um, but if we're to pass it on, then we need to be able to teach it. 
So, the first thing I want to talk about in teaching the Word of God um, is what is your goal? And I want to just throw that question out there. It's a really important question, and it's something that we don't necessarily uh, spend a lot of time thinking about, but um, it will help inform the way that we teach. So I just want to ask the question, what, what should be our goal in teaching? What are we trying to accomplish? Build up the uh, build up the body of Christ in faith. Okay, build up the body of Christ in faith. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to say it. Any other thoughts? And we're making disciples, as it says in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Making disciples, teaching who to obey all that I have commanded you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Godliness. To Godliness. be made in the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's promotes sanctification. So, when it comes down to like just the fundamental, like immediate goal, because these are, to a large degree, these are these are things that we hope to gain by teaching people. Um, so they are, in that sense, goals. But when you just bring it right down to the immediate level, is there anything you can think of that would describe immediately what you're attempting to do? It's for information. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah, you're you're wanting to impart information, um, and I think that I mean all of the things that that have been mentioned are things that we should think about as we are teaching and as we're preparing to teach. Um, and uh, but but I certainly think that like the idea that you're attempting to impart information should be one of the fundamental things you think about. As you're teaching and as you're preparing your your uh, what you're teaching, um, so imparting knowledge involves stretching the students. Um, so you want to make sure that when you're teaching, that that is what you're that's what you're you're trying to do. You're you're trying to impart knowledge, and it requires that you be trying to stretch them. Um, so you're not trying to tell them what they're already familiar with. Um, that would be to follow the goal of keeping them happy and showing that you are on the same page as them. That's something that sometimes teachers can fall into. It's like, oh, well, I, I, I want to make sure that they know that you know I'm coming from the same perspective as they are. I want to make them really happy, get them to, you know, they hear what they want to hear, and so I'm just going to basically tell them what they already know and agree with. Um, I mean, that would be a wrong goal to have, um, and so that's not that's not what we should be doing. You shouldn't just be, as a teacher, you shouldn't just be trying to tell people stuff they're familiar with. Um, you also um, are not trying to present information that they cannot grasp, um, and that would be to follow the goal of trying to impress them with your knowledge. That's another trap that's kind of on the opposite end that teachers can fall into is, well, I just want to show them that I'm really smart, that I've studied this a lot, and I just want to talk over their heads, and then they can just say, wow, he's so smart, I could never understand all that stuff. That's that's not your goal. Your goal is not to impress people. It's to impart information. Um, 
And further, stretching them should work from the foundation of what they already know, but then build higher so that they can internalize a deeper understanding of the topic. Um, of course, that it, it can be hard to know exactly what they know unless you've been teaching people for an extended period of time. And that's obviously a lot easier with your family because you know you're just teaching them on a regular basis. Um, it can be harder if you you know if you don't really know the people that you're teaching. Um, but your goal should be um, to start you know at a more basic level and work your way up if you have the same group of people over an extended period of time. Um, you don't want to just always keep it so basic that they, you know they, they learn for a little bit and then they don't go forward, but you also don't want to jump ahead so fast that they can't keep up at all. And ben? In, in, in the vein, uh, just thinking Second Peter, um, is, would you say that there is also an aspect of uh, call, teaching the same things again and again to help them remember them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and not that that's not imparting information, just kind of reminding them of information that they might have already mm-hmm. heard once but not thoroughly internalized. Yeah. Um, that's uh, I had that slightly farther ahead in my notes, but that is an excellent point. Um, let's see, what did I say exactly? Yeah, don't don't assume that and this is this is basically what you're saying, but I I wrote something out here to to, to clarify all that is don't assume that your your students are going to retain everything that they teach. Uh, a large part of learning is repetition. Um, that's just the way that humans learn, um, and it can be hard to to find the balance between useful repetition and unnecessary repetition. But you just have to try to to gauge how much is being retained. Um, and let that inform your, repet- uh, the, your repetition. But you definitely want to to do that repetition. So um, that's a that's a, an important part of it. So yeah, that's that's good that you pointed that out, Ben. Um, but those are if your if your goal is to impart knowledge, then you you kind of need to try to to walk this balance, and you need to like really ask yourself the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, is the goal I want to impart knowledge? Or is it I want them to, I want to make them happy, I want to make them think I'm you know on the same page. I want to show them how smart I am. And if you want to impart knowledge, if you want them to know more when you're done than when you started, then uh, that should inform what you do. Um, and then use your teaching to improve your future teaching. Um, learn from your mistakes. Uh, constantly reevaluate, reevaluate your approach and see what you can improve. Um, I mean, you can do this just thinking about what you know what you've what you've said and you know the way you've presented things. You can also get feedback from other people. Um, I also find it very helpful just like listen to other people teach and um, you know evaluate like what you think is working and what they're doing and what you what you think is not um, and just you know always try to be improving your uh, your own teaching. Now assumptions. Um, is a huge issue, um, and there are assumptions on on both sides. Um, but I want to start with uh, the assumptions that you, as the teacher, make. So be careful what assumptions you make. 
Um, and this kind of goes with what we were just talking about, but it's, it's usually impossible to know exactly how much your students already understand. Um, so as you're prepared to teach them, you will have to make an educated guess. Um, so you don't want to teach over their heads. Um, you know, that's to assume that they know more than they do. Um, you know, you, you may not you may not be trying just to impress them and show them how much knowledge you have. You might just think that they know more than they do, and so you run over some things without explaining them, um, and you know they're lost. And you know, you're, it's not that you're again, it's not that you're you have the wrong motives, but you just assume that they know more than they do. Um, and so you want to be careful about that. You want to try to gauge how much they know. Um, but on the other end, you want to avoid teaching things that they've already firmly grasped. Uh, so that's to assume that they understand less than they do. You know. Um, the, again, we have to we have to mediate this with repetition. It is important to have repetition of things that people already understand. Uh, but if it's something that they've already just got really firmly, then you don't want to just spend your whole lesson talking about those things um, so that they're not stretched at all, so that they don't grow in what they learn. Um, something that, that goes along with these issues is the use of technical terms. Um, that's something that sometimes can be uh, debated in, like, you know, in teaching and um Basically, you know, like, should you use technical terms? There's, there's some people that, you know, say, oh, well, these technical theological terms, you should never use those um, in front of a group of people unless they're like seminary students or something like that. Um, and but then there's, you know, then there's the other side of the spectrum. It's like, well, we, we really want, you know, to educate everybody, so we need to be using these terms. Um, I think it's uh, again, it's a balance. I mean, just like. Seems like everything else. It's a it's balance. If you if you have the approach that you're just never going to use those terms, then you're really kind of stunting the growth of people because it's like they're going to pick up books that are going to be using these terms. They're going to have conversations with other people that are you know they're going to use these terms. Uh, and you know and the, and the terms were created not just to to have a special language for theologians, but they were they were created because they're useful in communicating ideas and facilitating conversations. Um, so, but you also don't want to just like throw out all the technical terminology without any explanation and just assume everybody's able to grasp it all. Um, so what I think you should do, and I mean, I hope that this is what I do. Um, I'm, I'm sure I don't do it perfectly, but do a limited amount of exposure to technical terminology um, and attempt to explain what that is, um, especially the first time you present it. Um, and you know, and then hopefully you can bring people up to understanding that that technical terminology. But I mean, of course, you always have to understand this. Like, unless you ha unless you have the same audience, um, you're you know, if you're if you're having people rotate rotate in and rotate out, then you're going to have to be aware that like. Anybody that's that's come later may not know what those terms are. So just always be very aware of that, and it really never hurts to stop. I mean, you could overdo it, but it, for the most part, it never really hurts to stop and say, this is what this term means. Um, but it really does help the students um, to be able to to get that, uh, that, that technical terminology. 
um, because they may want to do some reading on their own and uh, or listening to lectures or whatever and um, it can be really helpful if they've already been exposed to those things. Um, be careful what assumptions the, the students make as well. Um, that's something that, again, it's harder to gauge, um, but um, but you really should try to think about that. What what might they assume um, as you're as you're preparing your lesson? Think about that. It's like what might they assume? Um, and again, it's it is hard to hard to gauge that. But like if there's if there's common misunderstandings, if you've studied a topic and you just come across the fact that it's like, oh, it's pretty common for people to misunderstand this, um, then that's something you should be aware of. Um, you know, children with their lack of experience of the world, they often have a lot of, you know, misunderstandings that, that they just assume you mean something that you don't. Um, and you just really need to, to try to be careful about that. I mean, you know, some of it can be really funny and um, can really catch you off guard. So there's just no way to perfectly predicted, but but try your best to uh, just to be aware of that and and try to head it off before it's a, a big deal. I mean, if you have a reason to believe that your students uh, may make a false assumption, then present the material in a way that guards against uh, that. Be, be explicit. Uh, you know, do things like say, I'm saying, I'm not saying X, I'm saying Y. Um, just, just make it explicit what it is you are saying and what you're not saying. Um, if you, if there's some kind of issue that you, uh, you really think might be um, something that people are likely to overlook. Um, so those are some things that um, you should be aware of as far as assumptions, assumptions you might make. Um, as you're presenting your material and assumptions that your students might make. Any questions or thoughts about any of that part? Ben? Okay. Questions are probably a good way mm -hmm. to, to find out if there, if it, they are, if there are some false assumptions going on about what you're saying. Yes, questions are a wonderful thing. We're going to talk about that here shortly. Um, we talk about styles of presentation, but um, questions are very helpful in gauging where your students are at because um, you really can just like if you just present the material then who knows if they're getting it or not so um, and if our goal is to impart knowledge then you know we need to we need to make sure that they actually are getting it so yeah we can ask questions and that will that will help to uncover some of those some of those things that either we're assuming that you know they know more than they do, or, or they're making assumptions about what we're saying that aren't correct. So, yeah. Let's talk just a little bit about um, preparation. Um, preparation is um, both very fun and very difficult. Um, it's, I mean, I guess it probably depends to some degree on your personality, but um, it can it can be a lot of work. Um, it can um, there's there's you know lots of pitfalls, but it's I mean it is basically it, it is it, in a lot of ways it mirrors just what we've been talking about for the last several weeks studying the Bible. Um, there's more to it than that. Um, 
but um, a lot of it is that. And if you enjoy studying the Bible, then that's going to be very enjoyable for you. Uh, but it's also a lot of work. Um, it, you know, it can it can seem very daunting. Um, you know, try not to procrastinate. I mean, I know that's that's something probably all of us struggle with. I know I struggle with it. Um, think, oh well, you know, I I, I kind of know this already, so I can I can put that off a little later uh, before I actually do the work of preparing the lesson. Um, so um, you know, I mean, that's just a basic thing. Don't procrastinate. Um, but um, also, you you really want to know your topic. Um, it's it's really easy to to basically just just have a cursory knowledge and say, well, that's good enough for me to teach. Um, you really should, if you're going to be teaching something, you know, try your best. I mean, obviously, like, not you know, we're not all going to be like you know, seminary professor level knowledge of things. Um, but but try your best to know your topic. If if you uh, are planning to teach something to your family, if you have been assigned to teach something for Sunday school or a Bible study or something like that, you know, really try to know the topic uh, before you before you step up and try to teach it. Um, and consider that you're you're dealing with uh, truth. Um, this isn't just a just a presentation. We're dealing with truth when we're talking about uh, teaching the Bible. Uh, you're not just presenting a, a perspective. Uh, you should believe in the reality of the things you're communicating. Um, you know, if it's just like, oh, well, you know, I read that theologians say this, uh, so I'm going to teach this. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a good way. Uh, to uh, approach teaching. You, you should be convinced of the things that you're teaching. I know I have, uh, on some occasions, kind of bowed out of teaching a particular topic, um, not because I necessarily disagreed with what I was expected to teach, but because I was just uncertain about whether I agreed with exactly the way I was expected to teach it or not. I don't know if that's making sense or not. Where it's like, you might have some particular, you know, hotly debated topic in, uh, you know, in the church and say, oh, well, we want to teach on this. And you know that, like, where you're at, this is the position they present. Um, and it's like, well, I don't know that that's right. I mean, I suppose you might be in a situation where you could say, oh, well, I'll, I will teach, you know, here's option A, here's option B. Um and that you know that might be okay, but like if you're expected to teach option A, and you're like, well, I just don't know if I believe option A because option B looks like it might be correct as well. Um, it's it's really difficult to teach in that type of situation, at least for me, because you, you're you're trying to teach truth, you're trying to teach the word of God, and if you're not confident that the position you're teaching is actually true, actually corresponds to reality then it's really hard to teach it. Um, and so um, when you're teaching, try, you know, try to make sure that it's you really are persuaded of the things that you're teaching, that those things are true. Um, it's just going to make your teaching so much better. Um, and it isn't about impressing people. Um, ultimately, it's about pointing people to Jesus. That's, that's what you should be considering when you're 
uh, preparing. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, uh, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And that's a, that's a sober warning. Um, I mean, I'm saying that like all of us on some level do teach, so um, all of us need to be aware of that to some degree, but um, obviously if you're doing more thorough and more formal teaching, it's something that you should really consider. Um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, I know we've quoted this one several times in the, uh, in the course of this lesson. Uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Um, so, again, it is truth. It is the word of truth. You need to work hard, do the preparation work to make sure that what you're presenting is actually true. Um, that's just that's just vitally important. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about um, like how to prepare lesson plans, assuming I don't get too long-winded. Um, but uh, but let's let's start by um, talking about styles of presentation. Um, so. I'm going to ask a question again. Is there is there a correct style? Any thoughts? Well, I mean, in being true to the truth, it's, I mean, if it's within teaching what you were supposed to teach, mm-hmm. then I don't know that that to that extent, as long as it's reverent and... I love it depending on the context too. Well, I was going to say, I think correct style depends on context. Mm-hmm. Because preaching. Yeah, well, yeah, to have a back and forth discussion here in Sunday school mm-hmm. is appropriate. Mm-hmm. But for Rick to start that in his sermon mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily, necessarily be appropriate. But basically, right? I just had the mental image of him going up there and doing this whole skit drama, you know, type <laughs> of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are incorrect. Oh, sorry. I think there are incorrect styles. I don't know if there's one correct style. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. What what would be an example of an incorrect style? Well, I mean, for example, if you just got up and started shouting at everyone and berating people for yeah. not knowing things. Yeah. That would that would definitely. I don't know if that's so much a style, but that would definitely be incorrect. So I, mean, I, I suppose for some people that is a style. So. Well, sorry. What was that? So I mean, it depends where you go. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, I kind of like the the three broad categories of styles that um, you know, and, and sermons are a slightly different thing. They are teaching, but um, they, they are they are kind of their own beast. And you know, um, but like if you're doing like a, a Bible study or a Sunday school lesson, um, you 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 kind of have the options of like a lecture. Uh, something that's interactive, um, or something that I don't really have a good name for, but it's kind of pooled input, um, where it's not really even interaction with the teacher, but it's more like there's a facilitator who's keeping everybody talking, and it's all just kind of pooled input. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of a spectrum there. Um, so. 
Um, let's talk about some of the strengths and weaknesses uh, of the different. I mean, let's just let's basically just talk lecture and uh, interactive to start with. Um, so the strengths of a lecture. Um, if you're doing a lecture, um, you have clear organization. Um, you won't get derailed. Uh, you won't get caught unprepared. Um, weaknesses. Uh, the uh, students can drift off and not pay attention. You just if you're just talking, then it's like yeah, they might they might be you know thinking about you know what they're going to have for dinner, you know, um, and not paying attention to what you're saying. You'll just never know. Um, and you may have forgotten to include some important points, uh, and it simply won't be addressed because nobody's going nobody's gonna to step up and say, hey, what about this? Um, so uh, can anybody else think of any, um, any other, like, strengths or weaknesses of a lecture style? Uh, time, time, both so strength and weakness. Uh, you, you can control how much time you have. Mm -hmm. um, what if you did not prepare well, you can also call very short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. You, you uh, you're not, you're not at, at risk of of going over time as long as you, you know, prepared right. Because just like, well, I'm the only one talking, so I just talk till till this time. But yeah, you can just like fail to prepare enough material, and then you're like, oh. I wish I got 20 minutes left. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Um, I think another thing, too, is in our culture, mm -hmm. lecture is oftentimes carries a negative connotation. That's true. You know, and so it's, it, but here again, I, the lecture has benefits. Mm -hmm. So I think part of that is, as teachers, we have to overcome that in our own mind to realize that what our culture is proposing is wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we should not be affected by that. But we should also, as students' assumptions, you can assume that there are those out there who are thinking that this lecture mm -hmm. is not beneficial. Right. And so you have to, you know, you, you know, you just you just have to be faithful in your teaching mm -hmm. to help them to, to see the truths of what you're saying. But I think that's something to deal with. I don't yeah. That's a negative or positive and something yeah. to be aware of whenever yeah, you it's, yeah yeah that's a, that is a very good point I mean I guess in a sense it, it is a negative because it's like you can just basically put people off by doing a lecture just because of the way that our society views that so um, well, I think you can also it gives the one of the advantages that you can control the narrative you can control the information you're giving yeah which means if you are teaching to the wall with I don't want to say a hostile group maybe a hostile group but a group that you think may have some serious differing opinions. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you can produce, I mean, like we have this in book club all the time, which is a discussion, it's more of a collaborative thing, it's not meant to be a lecture thing, but we have people from all different churches, I mean, right. sort of like Seal or any of those things, like just mm -hmm. huge wide variation of backgrounds, and you can end up going to weird places and have to actually correct some really off stuff. Like right, yeah. And so it's sort of an advantage that even if you're in a mixed company, mm -hmm. you can make sure that you're presenting the truth and what that church believes or what that person particularly believes mm -hmm. without the input of... Right, yeah. Yeah, the, a, a group can really derail you, especially if they are antagonistic to the yes. position you're presenting, for sure. Um, so let's talk about interactive. Um, 
with interactive, um, one of the things is you can gauge how well students are grasping the material. Um, I mean, questions is a, is a great part of that, you know, but even just like the things they say, you can, you can get an idea of like, are they getting what I'm saying or uh, am I falling short as a teacher so that they're not grasping it? One, one thing, this is kind of just a side point, is um, as you're teaching, don't be quick to assume, well, it's their fault they're not getting it. Start with the assumption, if they're not getting it, I'm doing something wrong as a teacher. So look to yourself first. So that's kind of just a side point of if you if you want to be a good teacher, um, that's the way you should approach it. Because most of the time, if they're not getting it, it is the teacher. Unless they're just like somebody who just really just like they they started the lesson not wanting to be there, you know. But, you know, then it's like it doesn't matter what you say. But to a large degree, if they want to learn and they're not getting that, it's probably your fault. So um, try to address that in your own stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, other strengths. Uh, students uh, will raise issues that you should have included but forgot to. Um, that's a, something I've seen over and over again. I'm not perfect in my preparation. And sometimes you guys say stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I should have put that in my notes. Um, and uh, students have lots of opportunity for asking questions. If there's something that they need clarification on, if there's something that where they're making a false assumption or uh, they have some misunderstanding, they can they can pipe up and ask a question. You can get that dealt with. Whereas a lecture, you just you're not even going to be aware of that. Um, but weaknesses, uh, you might get derailed and wind up talking about a completely different topic or. Um, having people that are presenting just a completely wrong view on something. Um, it, uh, it, it may be harder to follow the organization of the material uh, due to interruptions. I mean, it might all be like good discussion, but like you got it all planned out where it's like, okay, here's kind of the flow of thought of what we're talking about, and people just don't get it because you keep getting, you know, keep going on these different rabbit trails. Um, so that's that's a that's a weakness to the interactive approach. Um, you uh, you may face questions you're not prepared to answer. I mean that can happen where it's like you just don't know your topic well enough, or I mean maybe you know maybe you still know your topic really well, but they just ask a really tough question or something you just weren't expecting, you're not prepared for, um, and so yeah you might get asked a question that you just don't you don't know how to answer. Um, and, you know, students might fear being called on. If you're doing something that's interactive or you're interacting with students, it's like some of the people could just be sitting there just petrified. It's like, I hope he doesn't try to talk to me, you know. Um, so, I mean, that can be a disadvantage. Um, obviously, you just have to try to work around that. But, um, and, you know, and I think, you know, because there are strengths and weaknesses to both of these approaches, then you just kind of have to gauge, it's like, for the particular situation that I'm going to be teaching, what's the better approach? You know, and there's there's a spectrum as well. So it's like you could be just, you know, full-on lecture where it's like they're not talking at all, um, you know, or really interactive where the students are talking a lot, or, you know, somewhere in between where um, it's a, a lot of lecture and a little bit of interaction. Um, there's, there's also the, like I said, the, like the pooled input thing. Um, I've experienced that, and I, I think that's just a bad approach. Um, I mean, I, I've sat there where it's like, 
And, well, in fact, I was I was told that with this organization that the facilitator was not allowed to teach. They were not allowed to like express any final opinion. Um, all they were allowed to do was just like ask questions and try to get people talking. And the whole group was just kind of just discussing it, and you know, it's like, oh, what do you think? What do you think? Um, and I, I just think that's a recipe for disaster. If you want to impart knowledge, um, I mean, the the idea is that the teacher has some knowledge that that he or she wants to impart to the students, and so you should be able to do that. And if it's just let's all just sit around and discuss it. Um, and present different ideas. I mean, that can be a very helpful thing, but that's not teaching. You know, you could, yeah, you could sit around and discuss theology, but there, there really does need to be um, some kind of um, a little, a little bit more structure to it if you're going to be doing teaching. Um, let's see. So um, that's kind of like as far as styles go. Um, those are those are my thoughts on that. Now, um, using aids, um, there's all sorts of aids you can use. You can use handouts. We've done that quite a bit. You can do slideshows. I know when we were doing it, um, you know, over the internet, I was sort of using slideshows just to, you know, to have the verses up there. You can do video. You can do audio. Um, you know, all sorts of things that you know that have been recorded that you can present. Um, you can use props. Um, I know uh, in the past I've taught quite a bit on uh, doctrine of scripture. This is kind of a piece of that is like how to study the scripture, but I've like covered a lot more of it in like the history of how we got the Bible and stuff like that. And one of the things I always enjoyed was bringing some papyrus and passing it around and letting everybody, you know, put their hands on some papyrus because that was very frequently what was used um, in ancient times as, you know, something you would write on. And it's, and it's very interesting because it's like, it's it's not smooth like our paper. If you try to write on it, it's going to, like, it's going to cause some issues. Um, so it's it's good to, to get people aware of that type of thing. So props can be very useful. Um, you can use stories. You can use uh, analogous illustrations. You can use humor. Um, but all of these aids that I've just mentioned have dangers to them. Um, and it's impossible to like go through like all the possible pitfalls and all the possible benefits. Um, but the, the way that, that I approach it and the way that I think people should approach it is um, ask yourself if you're using them to aid in imparting knowledge or is it to entertain? Um, if you're if you're using it just to entertain people, you know, um, I, I mean, I've I've been in Bible studies and even heard sermons where you know sometimes there are stories and humor thrown in just to entertain people, and they don't really do anything uh, as far as like helping to present the information that's uh, that's attempting to be communicated. Um, that's not where we want to be. We, we want to be, you, you always just want to gauge whatever you're doing that's bringing in these aids and ask the question, is it facilitating the imparting of knowledge um, or is it just something else? Um, and, you know, ask yourself, um, 
if they if they actually help or if they obfuscate. I mean, sometimes they can actually make it harder to communicate information. Um, one example, um, I think you should use a visual prop to show people what the Trinity is like. Any thoughts? No. No. I, I mean, I bring that up as an example because I've actually had somebody tell me that because I was I was teaching junior high age kids and I was told, oh, well, you know, they they need visual aids. You can't just teach them something. It's like, you know, try to teach them the Trinity and they're, you know, they're not they're not going to be able to grasp it. They're just junior junior high age kids. You know, you need to use visual aids. And I'm like, well, maybe I should just get a golden calf. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, it's, you don't do that. So, um like there's some things that like there's there's nothing there's no aid you can use that that's really going to help. Um, so just the, yeah, I was just gonna say just those 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 are the questions you should be asking when you're trying to decide if you're going to use those things. I was gonna say I think in the same way that our culture uh, you know, sort of looks down on lecture lecturing they they also exalt visual aid you know and stuff and. Uh, I remember when I first got into teaching, I actually got sort of caught up in spending so much time trying to put together PowerPoint presentations mm-hmm. and making those look nice mm-hmm. that I, it, it, it detracted from the time of preparation for the teaching. Yeah. And so, you know, here again, you got to be careful. That's that's how culture views it. So sometimes there's mm-hmm. expectations of what you ought to do, yeah. but you got to be careful because they actually can hinder yeah. teaching. Yeah, that is well. that is a real danger. You could you just like, oh well, I need I need to make this impressive. Um, I need to you know fix up my PowerPoint, and then you just you don't really put the time in you need to actually prepare your lesson. So yeah. Well, I think there's a few of of stretching people, you know, just because our culture is now too or comfortable with mm-hmm. something, you know, so the the average right now, um, I double check because I couldn't remember, the average attention span of an American in today's day and age is eight seconds. Um, and it decreased from 20 seconds, uh, or 12 seconds in 2020, or in 2000. Okay, so it's gone down to eight seconds. So if you watch any TV show or movie, you'll notice the angle will change. Mm-hmm. Or something will visually change within what you're watching every eight to twelve seconds mm-hmm. because that's our attention span. Right. And I've done a lot of study on this with doing teaching stuff on YouTube and how to keep it visually interesting and how to keep it. And there comes a point where it's like, okay, when are we going to stretch our brains further than that? Like right. this is horribly pathetic. It, uh-huh. We actually have less attention span than goldfish. Right. That is that is a absolutely a, a great point. I, I just a second, Ben, because you, you made me think of just like I mean one thing that I've that I've learned about like the Reformation period was that um, to a large degree, the Roman Catholics were telling the Protestants, "It's like, oh, well, you know, people they're they're illiterate. They they just don't really know stuff. And you're expecting them to read the Bible and and to listen to this, you know, long discussion. And you know, really, we just need to like have the artwork in the churches, and we need to have plays for them to go to because that's all they can really grasp. And the reformers were like, no, we can make people better, which is exactly what you're saying. So yes, men." At this kind of in the vein of what you're talking about, and she's talking about, it's like they, they like with the reformers, they didn't like 
expect them though to just like automatically draft these things. They set part one of the main things they did was they set up a lot of schools to help mm-hmm. teach them how to read so they could study the Bible for themselves. Right. Um, and, and recognizing that kind of our own culture, like, just because we want to push them, kind of what you're saying before, we don't want to then suddenly like do a three-hour lecture. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You you have to you have to gauge where they're at, and again, our goal is is not to to be against the culture and and be you know really heavy on lecture and stuff that you need a really long attention span to be able to follow. That's not our goal. Our goal is to impart knowledge, and so we have to gauge that and say, well, we're not going to impart knowledge very well if we just drop to the level of our culture and make everything you know quick and easy. But we're also not going to impart knowledge if we just go completely against our culture and give them three-hour lectures. Uh, we need we need to be just above where they're at and stretch them. So it's also I mean, that in that it's also why uh, when you think about it, you know, there's like when you're talking about you know, words mean things, you know, when we use theological words, it's also uh, there's a reason, you know, there's meaning packed into phrases or other things like that it's to overcome that maybe small span or condense that information. Yeah. Well, I think you see this a lot in teaching children in particular, that there's a lot of expectation. Um, like at Portland, I, I started the worshipers and training, or, which I actually don't believe in. I actually believe children should be in church, so that's why they're running. But anyway, um, and I was told point blank that that is an impossible ministry. You cannot take kids out of the service and expect them to sit for, we wanted them to sit for about a 10 minute lesson mm-hmm. at ages three and four. And they were like, you can't do that. That's developmentally inappropriate. And I was like, well, actually, I don't put my kids in this program. I put my kids in the service at three and four. And they said, no. They don't say, well, but they sit mm-hmm. <laughs> right. here going, sometimes we can get so caught on the developmentally appropriate or all these statistics or this whatever that we really rob our kids where there's some denominations and some churches where they don't they don't expect because they think it's physically impossible for a child to come into the worship service until 9, 10, or 12. Mm-hmm because they couldn't possibly get it. And so how much do we rob people because of our assumptions of what they can or can't? Right. Well, we visited one church at one point where it was so far as to say, oh, no, not not we don't expect it. They're not allowed. It was awkward, for sure. We have a nursery. No, we're getting, like, we'll take you to the nursery. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it. See, the problem with those studies is they don't, tell you what ought to be, they tell you what is. Yes. You know, and and along the vein of the reformers, we ought to be looking yeah. at where we should be. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so. also, it, it also goes off the assumption that it's my job to partake, or to, to give you the knowledge, and it's your job to absorb that, and it negates the Holy Spirit's work in any of that. Mm-hmm. So he's not limited by Yeah my teaching abilities or my child's mm-hmm. absorption abilities or whatever. And so I think that's the other factor in all of this is that understanding his part in this process. Yeah. But that, it's also why, um, I do it every time, it's why, you know, of faith exists, it's why confessions exist, to convey that information in a digestible manner for which to expound upon later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Any real enough? 
What's that? No, it's all good. I, I am I am looking at the clock though, so um, we we do need to. Uh, this is one of the one of the one of the downsides. Uh, one of the weaknesses of, of interactive. This is like I'm I'm going to be struggling to get through this here. So um, so uh, lesson plans. Um, uh, I'll just try to say this quickly. Um, don't don't try to wing it. Um, I, I mean, that's something that's so much of a temptation, especially if you really know the topic. Just it's you're just asking for disaster if you say, "Oh well, I know the topic. I can just wing it." Um, you you really should prepare a lesson plan. I mean, even if you're just teaching your kids, and you don't necessarily like have to write it out, but it's even good if you're just, you know, if you're just doing your daily teaching with your kids, write something out. It can be on an index card, whatever. Um, when you're teaching, it is so easy to forget the things that you think are really important to say. And you can, you know, spend your, you know, week or weeks or whatever it is, or, you know, however long you spend preparing, you know, and there's all things that occur to you that's like, that's really important. I need to be sure I say this. If you don't make lesson notes, um, you're just going to forget those things when you go to teach. And then afterwards, you're going to be like, oh, I was going to say that, and I forgot. And, um, so I would say prepare lesson plans. Don't don't try to wing it. Um, your lesson plans uh, should be organized. They should they should follow uh, a, a clear pattern. Um, now, that's something that can be hard to do, but... Um, as you as you work on it, I mean, for me, it's like a lot of times when I'm preparing lesson notes, I'm kind of just like I'm thinking about it, I'm looking at resources, you know, whatever, you know, whatever input I'm getting, and then I'm just I just have a, you know, a word processor document open that I'm just like I'm throwing ideas down. It's like okay, here's a point I want to make sure I say, you know, and it's it winds up being just a jumbled mess, you know, as I'm at this stage of it. Um, and, you know, but then slowly as more ideas come together, I start, like, thinking about it. It's like, okay, what's the most reasonable way to present this material? And then I start, like, cutting and pasting and putting things in categories. And it's like, okay, these are the headings I want to follow. And so it's just really helpful if your lesson is organized. It's going to be a lot easier for your students to understand, to follow, to remember what it is you're teaching. Um, if you have it in an organized manner and you have things categorized, if you're just kind of just all over the place, it can it can be a lot harder to follow and it can be a lot harder to teach. Um, selection of material, um, you you really have to you know try to decide what to include, what to cut. Um, you want to ask yourself the question: uh, How important is a given point? I mean, I know a lot of times I put down a whole lot of information. And then when I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is too much information for the time that I have. Um, and so I have to decide, what do I want to cut? Um, you know, and you can have some stuff that you can kind of cut on the fly um, if, you, if you run short on time. But you should be doing cutting even as you're just preparing your lesson. Um, you you, you want to, you know, kind of want to put down everything that you think might be relevant as you're preparing. But then there's stuff that's like, yeah. I'm not going to have time for that, and it's not really serving the purpose. Um, and that's, you know, that's another question. Does it does it serve the main thrust of the lesson? Um, so consider those things, and um, you know, start 
cutting things out. Um, you know, basically, you, uh, it, and you definitely want to consider the, the time constraints of the presentation. Um, and consider where your students are at. Is this is this information that's just you know too far over their head, or is it too basic for them? Those are things that you can cut as well. Um, and I know we're we're out of time here, but I just I wanted I do want to throw in a few more points here. Um, so uh, you can present ideas and you can substantiate ideas. Now um, I think there needs to be a balance on that. Um, if you do nothing but present ideas, then um, you know it. It kind of it just encourages people to just kind of just accept what you say. Um, substantiating your ideas is very helpful, especially if you're able to point to the Bible and say, "Here, look, this is where the Scripture says this." Um, so you want to do that, and that you know that that encourages people to understand where things are coming from, persuades them that it's that it's true. Um, but you don't want to go too far that you are walking your students, your students through every step of your preparation. Um, you know, if you you don't want to just like go through, okay, here's what all the commentary said, and you know, here's all the different views, and you know, here's all the little points. You know, then you just you just bog it down, and then people just get lost, um, and you can give the impression that you're just showing off. So there needs to be a balance of presenting information. Um, and presenting uh, the and substantiating the ideas, um, and then finally, because we're already two minutes over, uh, just some pitfalls to avoid. Um, so, um, one thing that like can be very difficult if you're teaching is that sometimes someone answers a question incorrectly or they make an untrue statement. Um, and there is a really, really strong temptation to not correct it because, um, I mean, it just feels really bad to tell somebody, no, you got it wrong. You just said something incorrect in front of the whole group of people. Um, but we have to remember that our commitment is to the truth. And so we really want to be able to address that and not just brush it off, but to, to point out that that's not correct. But you, you have to do it in as graciously a manner as possible. Um, and, I mean, it really, like everybody, you know, the, the teacher and the students all should be desirous of getting to the truth. Um, and so, you know, if I say something wrong, I want somebody to correct me. Um, and that should be everybody's attitude. But, again, it, it can be very difficult when you say something that's wrong and somebody points out that you're incorrect, uh, that can be very embarrassing. It can hurt your pride. Uh, so be very gentle. But don't fall into the temptation of just saying, oh, no, that's fine. Um, I, I just won't address that. Because truth is too important. Um, don't pretend you, you know something you don't just because it makes you look better. That's another temptation. Um, no, just say, oh well, yeah. And you just don't just come off with come up with something that that may not be correct, and then hope people don't check. That's the wrong attitude. If you don't know something, say you don't know. Um, uh, pride is definitely a real issue. Um, don't be too proud to admit that you taught something incorrectly. Um, if like if you're studying and you you know come back the next week, you know, and you you know you're like, oh hey. Uh, last week I taught you this and then I studied more and I discovered that was wrong. I mean, that's a good thing to do. 
Don't just say, ooh, well, I said something that was wrong. I'm just going to brush over that. I mean, again, just, I, I can't emphasize it enough. Truth is, truth is more important than any of our egos. Um, and also, final point, uh, don't put too much stock in the number of people that show up to hear you teach. Um, I've actually heard people who were, you know, who were good teachers say stuff like, well, hardly anybody showed up. Why did I bother even, you know, doing all the work and preparing the lesson? I could have just, you know, done a hack job for the number of people that showed up. Um, don't ever have that attitude. You, you're, you're doing it for the wrong reasons if, if, uh, if that's your attitude. Um, you really should try to put your all into it, even if you're just teaching one student. So I apologize for going over. Any final thoughts or questions or anything like that? All right. Well, hopefully this was this was helpful, and uh, hopefully everybody is more prepared to study the Bible and hopefully to to teach it in whatever ways that um, the Lord provides for you to present the Word of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we thank you for your Word. We thank you for what a a rich treasure it is, and um, that it is also uh, very dangerous as uh, the consequences of handling it inaccurately uh, are great. And uh, God, I just pray that you would be with us, that by your spirit you would guard us from error, uh, that you would guard us from pride, that you would cause our motivations to be good and pure, uh, to honor you, to build up the body. God, we just pray that you would, by your word, continue to sanctify your people and, uh, Lord, just conform us to the image of Christ. I pray in his name. Amen.